Today's scripture is Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 38. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so you remember the uh, 
the classic story, A Christmas Carol, I'm sure. Um, and uh, actually, Dan began his sermon a few weeks ago by talking about A Christmas Carol as well. And I hate to disagree with Dan Allen uh, from up here, but the Muppets have the best version of The Christmas Carol, uh, hands down. Uh, I don't think you can really beat it. All right, here an amen. Uh, and, uh, you know, actually a while back, I saw this, uh, it was a prompt on social media, and it was, it was basically saying, okay, well, here's kind of a, a thought exercise. You can pick any movie, and you can keep one actor the same, and the rest of the actors are replaced with Muppets. What would you choose? And my answer was a Muppets Christmas Carol and keep Michael Caine as Scrooge, and you've got the same movie, which is a masterpiece. And so uh, the Muppets, I think, have the best version of a Christmas Carol. But nonetheless, in every version of this story, what happens is Scrooge on Christmas night is visited by three ghosts. There's the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And that's going to be our outline for this morning. Um, now, we're not here to exegete a Christmas carol, but to talk about Scripture, and we're not going to talk about Scrooge, but about Scripture. But nonetheless, what we are going to see in our text this morning is how, how Christmas celebrated past, present, and future. And so a simple way to keep track of that is what the, 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 the takeaway is going to be, okay, what, what do we do to celebrate Christmas? Well, you see Christ, you treasure Christ, and you await Christ. You await his return. That's where we're going this morning. Christmas past, okay, see what has happened. Christmas present, treasure Christ today, and Christmas future, await his return. That's where we're going this morning. And so the first thing that we see from our text is, uh, let's, let's look at Christmas past and seeing what has happened. So the invitation of the shepherds is, come and see what has happened. Come and see this Christ. We see this in verse 15 of Luke chapter 2. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Okay, so the, the angel tells them, here's where you're going to find this child. You're gonna find him in Bethlehem, laying in a manger. And so what did the shepherds do in response to that? The angels go back into heaven and the shepherds don't kind of sit there pause for a moment and say, well, that was weird, and just keep going on with the rest of their night. Now the shepherds say to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's, let's, go, let's go see this thing the angels have just told us about. Let's go see this thing that the Lord has just made known to us. And that's the response that we see of them, and it should be the response that we see in us. They head off to see this thing which has happened, or to the room in which it's happened, for you Hamilton fans, which the Lord has made known to us. Have you stopped to think this Christmas season about how the only reason you know this story is because the Lord has made it known to you? We get so familiar with the story of Christmas. We get so familiar with, you, you can recite it and we hear it all over the place. We've, we've heard it numerous times this past month, but have you stopped to consider, stopped to marvel at the fact that the Lord has made it known to you? To the shepherds, it was a mighty angelic host in the sky, and to you, it's God's word given to you, but nonetheless, he has made known to you and to me the good news of what has happened. It's such a familiar story that we should not get overly used to it that we miss the wonder of it. Now we might be, not be able to see physically in the same way the shepherds were able to, looking up in the sky and seeing the angels right there, but we are able to see spiritually in the same way they were through God's word. Sometimes it said seeing is believing but I'm not sure that's the best way of saying it. I think it's more accurate to say believing is seeing. There are some things you will not truly see unless you look at them through the eyes of faith. 
And that is true for the shepherds and it is true for us. The shepherds believed what the angels had said and that led them to see Christ. And the same is true for you and I today. If we believe what God has said to us in his word, it will lead us to seeing Christ as he truly is. Believing is seeing. And yet note that the shepherds' response to this was moving their feet. That said they went with haste to see this thing that had happened. They went with haste to find Mary and Joseph. And they went with haste to find the baby lying in a manger. It moved their feet. So you think about some, some, of the, some of the situations that we have in which you say, well, I believe it. It will actually cause us to not move our feet. So you think about, okay, well, if a friend comes up to you and offers you a glass of eggnog and say, hey, here you go. This tastes horrible, but for some reason people drink it at this time of year. You say, no, no thanks. I believe you. I, I'm good. And so you, your belief in them leads you to not do anything with it. But that's the opposite of belief in Christ. When, when you say, I believe them, the angels, it leads to you moving your feet to going to seeing the child in Bethlehem. When you say, I believe God and his word, it leads to you taking action upon it, doing something with it. And what is that something? It is believing in him and acting upon it. So we don't know exactly how the shepherds found Mary and Joseph. It was likely they didn't have GPS that would lead them to the exact location of the child in the manger. Um, you think about in uh, The Mandalorian, for any of you Star Wars fans, uh, and uh, they've got the tracking fob that leads them right to the child, right? That probably is not the same thing happening here. So we don't know how they found him. Perhaps they were going door to door and saying, do you have a baby here? Uh, uh, no, okay. You know, and, and all of a sudden they're getting doors slammed in their face and say, what are you shepherds doing here? And eventually they come and they find Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And we also don't know if the angel gave Mary, gave Mary a heads up. Probably not. So all of a sudden there's this knock at the door. She's thinking, okay, we finally got some peace and quiet. We just got Jesus down to sleep. Well, there he goes again. She's like, shepherds, what, what are you doing here? Okay, well, at least you didn't bring that little drummer boy. Okay, we're, we're, we're okay. And so the shepherds eventually come and they find this baby Jesus. Their hearing of the angel's declaration has led them to come and see this Christ. And so too, for us, the lesson from the shepherds should be to come and see the thing the Lord has made known to you this day. Come and see the good news of the arrival of the Savior that the Lord has made known to you. Come and see. So maybe you've been running from him. Maybe you've been waiting to get your life cleaned up just a little bit before you come to him. Maybe you've spent time in recent weeks getting your house all cleaned up for all the guests that are coming for Christmas because you don't want them to see the way that you really live. Uh, that's too messy, too unpresentable, and so you wanna get it all cleaned up first before they arrive, and we take the same approach with our lives. It's, if you look at the state of my heart, it's too messy, too unpresentable for anyone to see, and so we gotta clean it up, get it a little bit more presentable, and so we think uh, we don't want others to see what's really in here, much less God. And so let me just try to clean my life up a little bit before I come to him. Let me just try a little bit harder to be a better person and then maybe I'll approach God. But you notice the message of the angels didn't come and tell the shepherds, hey, this thing's happened in Bethlehem, so why don't you take a bath and put on a new set of clothes and maybe get a more respectable job and then come see him. The angel announced this to shepherds and said, come and see the child been born for you. And so that's you this morning. If you've been running, if you, if you think, nah, my life's too much of a mess to come to Christ, then I invite you to come and see the Christ Come and see what has been made known to you. Come and see the news that has been announced to you. Believe in him. It's the lesson that we 
have to learn from the shepherds. No matter how deep of a mess that your life seems, no matter how deep your sin goes, no matter how ashamed you are for other people to see the depths of your heart, come and see the Christ who is born for you. Come and see the one whose heart is gentle and kind towards sinners, full of compassion and grace. And that's precisely why he came. He didn't come to spread some vague Christmas cheer, but to shower his people with grace upon grace upon grace. He came for the helpless and the hopeless. He came for the burned out and the broken. He came for the lost and the lonely. He came for all who would repent of their sins and turn to him by faith. And so perhaps the application for you this day is to make haste to come to this Savior through faith. And the shepherds also show us that when we encounter the risen Christ, we can't just keep it to ourselves. They came and saw the baby Jesus. We come to see a Christ who reigns triumphant on the throne. And when we come and we see him, we can't just sit back and say, well, that was cool or that was weird. We've got to do something about it. We've got to spread that news to others, just like the shepherds do. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then we see verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So the shepherds, as they're going to Bethlehem, they're telling everyone they can find about what's happened. They're telling everyone they can find, hey, hey, these angels just appeared in the sky and told us this baby has been born who's gonna save the world. And you think, that, you know, they're, they're thinking, okay, what, okay, these shepherds are crazy. All who heard it wondered at what they were saying. That doesn't mean they believed it. They just thought, well, that's a pretty amazing tale you're telling. But the shepherds can't help but let everybody know what they've just seen. And so too for you and I. We can't help but let everybody else know about the one who has saved our soul. And so we see this thing that has happened in a real moment in history, in the past, in Bethlehem. We see what has happened, and yet it's an invitation for us today to come and see the Christ given for you. Now we turn our attention to Mary. And we see a lesson for us that's even more pertinent for us today in the present. And it is to have the response of Mary to treasure Christ treasure Christ. We see her response in verse 19. In contrast to the hustle and bustle and hurrying and haste of the shepherds, Mary sits and ponders, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. Can you imagine Mary on this night after a long journey to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant, and then giving birth in, a, uh, in, this, in this kind of stable or, or surrounded by animals. And, and then these shepherds come knocking at the door. I mean, that's, that's a, quite a whirlwind of a 24 hours for this young woman. So she's probably thinking, okay, wait, what? An angel said what? Okay, one at a time. Tell, tell me what the angel exactly said. And she marvels at it, but she's probably also not surprised by it. An angel had already visited her and told her what was to happen. And so what we see is that Mary sits and she ponders these things. She considers them. It's not meaning that she was like, oh, I wonder whether I should believe in this or not. I wonder whether this is really true or not. I wonder whether it's really happened or not. She's pondering them to see that how God is fulfilling all of his promises in these moments. God had told her exactly what was going to happen through an angel. But now Mary's beginning to see how all the pieces are fitting together. Now she's beginning to see how all of this is fitting together together and so she is pondering them, thinking carefully about them. 
She knew God would do it, but she didn't always see how. And maybe that's where you find yourself too, that you, you believe God when he says he will do something, but you don't exactly see how that's going to play out. You don't know all the details. That can be a frustrating place to be. It can be a frustrating place to be to not know exactly how things are going to work and not know exactly all the details and not know what those next steps look like even while you're believing God will do what he says he will do. And yet we should have a response like Mary. Even in a place of not having all the details, faith can shine all the more brightly. Trusting that God will do what he has said he will do even when we cannot understand how it will come to pass. Like a virgin who is told she will have a baby, believes him, even when she doesn't understand everything about how this is going to happen. And so Mary ponders these things, seeing how God is bringing about the fulfillment of his promises, bringing about the fulfillment of his word. And I'll just say that you will not really be able to go forth proclaiming this is good news like the shepherds are for any extended period of time unless you first ponder these things and treasure them in your heart like Mary. But it is often easier for us to emulate the response of the shepherds than it is for us to emulate the response of Mary. Because the shepherds, they, they take off running to, to, to Bethlehem to see what has happened. And they're going forth and they're making it known to everybody. They're, they're running around telling everybody and going about their lives. And it's a lot harder for us to sit back and not be doing all these things and to sit and ponder them. It's a lot easier for us to be running around and going, going to Bethlehem and, and knocking on doors and telling, hey, hey, guess what's just happened? It's a lot harder for us maybe to sit back and be in the quiet solitude of our own minds and ponder what the Lord has done for us. I wonder when was the last time that you sat back without much going on and you just sat and thought about the Lord, his word, and how he is bringing his promises about. It's hard for us to do, it's hard for us to, to cease our uh, running and haste and to stop and be quiet. Just, just this week, I was, uh, um, before the, uh, the, the snow came, I was out driving uh, and I stopped at the stoplight here in Ashland uh, because you know the traffic here in Ashland is, uh, is crazy. And so I stopped at the stoplight and I was, I was getting very impatient because I'm thinking this is gonna take me a long time to get through this light. So what I did is I turned off to a side road. And as I'm driving on that road, I knew, I knew this is taking me a lot longer to get to my destination, and yet I do not regret it for a second. Because for me, driving at least felt more productive than just sitting there. Doesn't matter how long it really took me, it felt more productive. And so we're gonna base everything on feelings, right? So it felt more productive. And that's the thing with us, is, is as long as we're moving, as long as we're doing something, it feels like we're being productive. So it's hard for us to sit and ponder like Mary. And yet that is the call for us this day, this Christmas day, is maybe to, to, to press pause on some of the other normal rhythms of life and to sit and to treasure Christ in our hearts. To treasure the one who has come. Is the Christ of Christmas your greatest treasure? Maybe this morning you already tore open the gifts or maybe you're awaiting that later today and so you're saying, okay, Josh, wrap it up here. But the greatest treasure that you will ever find is Christ Jesus. I, I don't know what awaited you underneath the tree. I'm sure there were many wonderful gifts, especially if those packages had the word Star Wars on them. I'm sure they're quite wonderful. But the greatest treasure of Christmas is Christ himself. You will not find a greater treasure under the tree than Jesus. As a, as a kid growing up, 
um, you know, my parents would wait to put the, uh, put the presents under the tree until Christmas Eve night, and so we wouldn't see them in advance. But the whole Christmas season, there was one present that remained underneath the tree. It was this gold box that you could open at any time, and you opened the box, and inside the box was just a reminder of Christ that sat under the tree the whole Christmas season to remind us that no matter what else might be going on, no matter what other gifts might come underneath this tree, the greatest of all treasures is the Christ who has come, the, good, the one who, whose good news is our great joy. And so maybe let's take some time to ponder these things, to treasure these things. It's easier for us to be productive than it is for us to ponder. It's easier for us to tell others about it than it is for us to treasure them ourselves. But may it be said of us that we both praised God including to those around us, and we prized God in our heart, the praising and the prizing. Maybe said that we uh, actually prized God in our praising of him, and that our praising of him was part of our prizing of him. See, these things go together. May he reign supreme over all the other loves, all the other affections that we might have in our lives. This prizing leads us to action. It leads us to sharing it with other people. It leads us to stepping out in obedience, but it doesn't start there. It starts with our hearts. It starts with us pondering and treasuring. It starts with us reflecting on Christ and on his word and seeing what God has done. But then, like with, Mary, or like with the shepherds, Mary and Joseph step out in obedience in response to the word they have heard. It leads us to see that Mary and Joseph were law-abiding Jews. They, they were faithful to obey what the Lord had commanded them. One such way we see in verse 21 now, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So they are obeying what the Old Testament has commanded, and that the, the, the child is circumcised on the eighth day, but they're also obeying what the angel had commanded and naming him Jesus. They are fulfilling exactly what God has commanded them to do. And then, when Jesus is six weeks old, they step out in faith again. You say, Josh, it's Christmas morning. Why are we looking at when he was six weeks old? Well, I hope that you'll see before long why this is pertinent for us this morning. But we see in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so you say, okay, well, how's that, uh, how's that demonstrating their obedience? Well, let's unpack it. First, I want you to notice how often it refers to the law of the Lord in that text. Verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Verse 39, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. It's making a point for you. This is all happening in accordance with God's word. Mary and Joseph are obeying what God had commanded in the Old Testament. Which clues us in, by the way, that even as a young child, six weeks old, Jesus is already fulfilling the law. He said as an adult, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And sometimes we think that's true only at the end of his life. Oh, Jesus fulfilled the law, yes. But actually, his entire life was one of fulfilling the law. His entire life was one of perfect obedience to what the Lord had commanded. And even here as a child, it's happening to him exactly as the law had commanded it to be. And the law required 
several things of them, and two of them are pertinent for our text. The first one was this, that uh, the one is consecration, the other is purification. Consecration, when a child reaches this point, uh, around 40 days, about six weeks, uh, the firstborn male, so the, 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 the male who first opens the womb, is supposed to be set apart for the Lord, consecrated for the Lord. So Mary and Joseph are bringing this child Jesus to dedicate him to the Lord, so to speak. That's the first element of what they're doing. It's a quotation from Exodus chapter 12. The second requirement is that they're coming for purification, according to the law, as we see in verse 22. This is specifically pertaining to Mary. Leviticus chapter 12 said that a child is to be circumcised on the eighth day, and that for 33 days after that, meaning essentially 40 days, the woman is still considered unclean under the law. So at that point, the time of purification comes, and she is to, uh, to bring it to the priest a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove, we'll use turtle dove because it's Christmas, for a sin offering, okay? So 40 days later, they're to bring a lamb and a turtle dove for an offering. But it says Mary brought two turtle doves. She brought two pigeons. Um, two turtle doves, just like the song says, right? There's no partridge in a pear tree here, but uh, neither is there a lamb, which is significant. You say, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? The law commanded them to bring a lamb and a bird, and they bring two birds. Well, here's what the law said in Leviticus chapter 12. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In other words, what it's telling us is notice how poor Mary and Joseph are that they cannot even afford the lamb for the sacrifice. The law made a provision for those who can't afford it. You can bring two birds instead. And so here come Mary and Joseph, and they bring two birds. They can't even afford a lamb. These young parents don't even have that much money to their name. And so notice the situation into which Christ was born. We've seen he was born in a humble place like Bethlehem. He wasn't born into the palace in Jerusalem. He was born into humble circumstances. And now we see the humility of Christ coming to parents who didn't even have enough money to provide a lamb for a sacrifice. Jesus is not growing up in luxury. He is growing up in poverty. And the fact that there are people today who would suggest that this family just needed to have more faith and then they would be wealthy, that's ridiculous. So let the incarnation Adjust your expectations of what a faith-filled life really looks like. It's not about money or wealth or riches or luxury or ease, but it's about following the one who has saved our souls and gives us life eternal. Christ Jesus, the God of all the universe, the one who possesses all wealth and riches in the galaxy, is born to parents who have no money to even buy a sacrifice. So we see Mary and Joseph but if we can jump out of this text just for a moment and, and consider in Matthew, he tells about the wise men who come, right? You know that. And the wise men uh, bring three gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these are gifts fit for a king. These are, these are, these are gifts that are, that are fit for the wealthy. These are, these are gifts of riches and luxury. And you say, what, what's, a, what's a baby gonna do with those things? Well, Matthew tells us that uh, after the wise men leave, an angel appears to Joseph. It seems like it happened right away. We don't know exactly the timeline, but it seems the angel appeared that very night and said, hey, Herod's gonna kill, he's gonna try to kill this child, so take him to Egypt instead. And so what do they do? They, they, they pick up that very night and flee to Egypt. Where'd they get the money for a trip to Egypt if they didn't even have money to buy a lamb? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but 
My guess is the Lord brought the wise men to bring these gifts of riches to this young family at just the right time to finance their flight to Egypt and their life there. And if that's the case, that we see God's provision even for those who don't have much at all. God will still provide for his people to give them exactly what they need according to his timeline, even when Mary and Joseph don't have much money. But what they do have, money can never buy. The things that Mary and Joseph have, you can't buy from the stores. You can't buy it on Amazon and have it delivered in two days. And so parents, may this be an encouragement to you because I know that you want the best for your children and you want to give them good gifts and you've tried to do that this Christmas season and, and some of you uh, feel really good about it and others of you say, I wish I could have just done a little bit more. You wanna get them everything they want. You wanna provide for them. You wanna give them a better life perhaps than the one that you had growing up. These are noble desires. They should be affirmed in you. It is good to provide for your family but I want you to note that you would be hard pressed to find a godlier parents than Mary and Joseph and they were dirt poor. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have much by the way of material wealth that they could have loved their son Jesus with, but what they did have was beyond what money could ever buy. They were obedient to the Lord and walked by faith. They sought to raise up their children to know and to follow God. It's a gift worth far more than money could ever buy. And so whether you have much or whether you have little, whether you are living in luxury or living in poverty, whether the presents are packed under the tree or whether all you can manage is a small stocking this Christmas, you can give to your kids your example of faith-filled obedience and walking after the Lord, just like Mary and Joseph. And this is what your kids need more than your money, more than your gifts. They need to see you treasuring Christ in your heart and walking in obedience to what he has said. And kids, you need to know that that's the best thing your parents can do for you. It might not seem like it right now, Right now, you might be focused on the presents that are underneath the tree, and that's, that's, that's okay. But look at your parents' example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Watch them closely. Look at them as they seek to follow Jesus, seek to treasure Jesus in their heart, and that is the best gift they can ever give to you. But again, we see the difficulty of this. Because just like it's easier to run with haste like the shepherds than to sit and ponder with Mary, it's a lot easier to buy gifts than it is to model obedience. And so look at what Mary and Joseph have that we need to learn from. It's a call to bring whatever you have, whether it's much or whether it's little, bring it before the Lord and offer it to him. Use that to worship. There's a line in the song, In the Bleak Midwinter, it goes like this. What can I give him, poor as I am, well, if I were a shepherd, I would give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I can give him my heart. It is good news, friends, that the Lord does not accept us on the basis of what we bring to him, on the basis of how much money we have to give him. It is good news that this savior came not born to the wealthy kings, but to the poor peasants of the world. You say, well, what can I bring to the one who has all things? You can bring him your heart. Step out in faith and respond to him and follow after him. Mary and Joseph could not bring a lamb, but in, fa in fact, they did bring the lamb of God who had come into the world. They brought him to the temple to dedicate him, the temple where sacrifices would be altar, offered on the altar. They brought the one who would be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. They brought the Lamb of God who had come into the world to be slain for his people, to bring them salvation. So they bring him to the temple. And while he's there in the temple, they encounter uh, 
two older folks, Simeon and Anna. And what they remind us of is looking yet to the future. So we've seen, okay, come and see this thing that has happened in Bethlehem. Come and see this Christ and believe in him. We've seen in Mary a response that we should emulate. Treasure Christ above all other things and let that spur you on to follow him. And now we see in Simeon and Anna that we should await Christ. We see Christmas future yet to come. Long for Christ's return. Look at what the text tells us. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Here's Simeon. He's an older man who is described as righteous and devout and filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice that the two main themes of this text of Simeon and Anna are the law and the spirit, things that we tend to today think are opposites, but that is not the case. The law and the spirit go together in scripture. The Spirit of God will lead you to greater obedience in the law, and the, the, the law will lead you to being more Spirit-filled. So these things, do not, uh, they're not opposites, they actually go together. But more significant in our text, the Spirit tells him he will not die until he sees the Messiah coming. Now there have been plenty of people who are awaiting the Messiah. They've been long awaited, waiting and waiting and waiting to see him come. But many of them, in fact most of them, died in that waiting. But Simeon, the Holy Spirit came to him and said, you will not die until you see the Christ, until you see the Messiah, until you see the rescuer. And so he's waiting. You know, that's what Advent is really all about. It's about waiting. It's about longing. Just as you've been waiting and longing for Christmas Day to come, to finally arrive, and here it is. See, Advent reminds us that, in the, that the people waited for Christ to come. So you can imagine Simeon entering the temple on this day just like any other day, and he's waiting for God to fulfill his promises that he had not yet seen. And in walks this, this young couple with their child, and he had seen that before too. This is not the first time he would have seen a child being brought for dedication. But this time, there's something different about him. We don't know why. It's not like baby Jesus had this magical halo over his head, right? We don't know why, but maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit told him, hey, that's him. That's him. So you can, just, you can just picture Simeon here staggering over toward this family. His heart is racing. His, he's so astonished, so hopeful, so joyful. Has he really come? And he takes the baby Jesus in his arms and he looks at him. He says, I have seen the Christ. Now I can die happy. I have seen the one the Lord has promised. That's what Christmas is about. The Messiah who was promised long before. I've seen him. He's here. He's with us. Merry Christmas. Do you see the joy of Simeon upon the arrival of his Savior? He says, now I can depart in peace. God has been faithful to what he has said he will do. And this Savior, this Savior whom Simeon looks at right here, is not only for the glory of Israel, but for all the people, including the Gentiles. That's Simeon's song of praise. The waiting has ceased. The Christ has come. 
so do we see the face of our Savior like him? Simeon models for us what it looks like to wait expectantly with hope. He was eagerly awaiting the Christ's first arrival, and we are eagerly awaiting the Christ's return. And so it reminds us to wait with hope because God will do what he has promised. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So Mary and Joseph, by the way, are probably beginning to realize we're not gonna have an ordinary life. This is, you know, we're not just gonna be able to settle down. Like, okay, here, here we come to the temple thing, you know, and then all of a sudden, here comes this old man who's saying, oh, I've seen the Christ, right? So they're, they're thinking, okay, this is, not, this is not gonna be a normal life. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon rejoices and then he offers a prophetic word directed to Mary, but that has implications for us. Here's, here's what Simeon says, here's the gist of it. He says, this child will bring the fall and the rise of many. And it's likely that that refers to the same group of people. The same people who fall are the people who rise. That's, that's what his prophecy is. And that is a picture of every believer. Because coming to Christ requires us to fall in a sense, to fall on our knees in repentance, to confess that we cannot do what we think we can do. We cannot bring to God enough to make him happy with us. We cannot offer to God a sacrifice acceptable enough to make him pleased with us. And so we have to follow on our knees in humble repentance. And then we are raised up with Christ to glory. It's a fall and it's a rise. But more than just being a spiritual condition, this is also the earthly promise that those who follow Christ will experience suffering here that is followed by glory. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise of Christ. But after that, after we endure suffering and mocking and scorn, after we endure loss and grief and hardship, after we give up the lo loves and lusts of the flesh and throw ourselves wholly upon Christ, after all of that, comes glory. After the suffering comes glory. It is vital that we get that order right because ours is a day in which we think we can have the glory without the suffering. But that was the exact same temptation that Satan offered to Jesus. He takes Jesus up on this mountain and shows him all these things and says, hey, I'll give you all of this if you just bow down to me. Satan is offering to Christ a crown without a cross. But that's not the way of Christianity. Christianity is the way of the cross. But the cross does not have the final word. Glory does. Glory has the final word. When Christ is the greatest treasure of your heart, as he was Mary's, your suffering is never for nothing. There will be those who are opposed, yes. Why? Because Jesus himself is a sign for all who are opposed. Simeon says that, uh, that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Christ comes and he reveals the state of our hearts. He reveals whether we are leaning upon him and him alone for our salvation or whether we are leaning upon ourselves or some other thing for our salvation. This gospel message will either show you your sin and lead you to repentance, or it will show how you think you are self-sufficient to save yourself. The path of self-sufficiency promises glory now, but leads to suffering later. But the way of repentance, the way of the cross, promises suffering now and glory later. The way of Christianity, friends, is suffering and then 
glory. You say, okay, well, Merry Christmas. This is, but, but, but we need to see Christmas is about the waiting, and we are waiting the return of Christ. We are awaiting the glorification that we long for. And Christmas is the reminder that it will come to pass. Why? Because he came once before. So too will he come again. And so in this, Simeon's words should be a challenge to us. Challenge us whether we are truly following Christ or simply seeking prosperity. But they should also comfort us that no matter what afflictions we may face here, glory awaits us. It's true for all Christians, but this is spoken directly to Mary. Simeon says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He says, Mary, you too will suffer. Your soul will be pierced through with a sword. Yes, your son, Mary, will bring many people to glory, but he will also be opposed. People will threaten him and hate him, and they will seek to put him to death. They will beat him, humiliate him, mock him, and nail him to a cross to die. And all the while, John tells us, Mary stands watching. The pains of childbearing. Mary was there to witness all of it. This great woman of faith was not spared suffering. Simeon promised it would come for her, and yet the suffering that she witnesses, the suffering of her son Jesus, is for the salvation of all who would believe in him. So yes, Mary has seen suffering, but she has also seen glory. She has seen her child put to death. She has cradled not only her, her newborn child in her arms, but she has cradled her dead child in her arms, and she has also seen him resurrected to life eternal. It's the good news of the gospel it's a sober word that Simeon brings, but it's also filled with hope because suffering does not have the final word. It is suffering and then glory. That's the way of the Christian life. And then we come to Anna, verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So it's not just Simeon in the temple, right? There's, these, there's this, this old man and an old woman who come, and they're, they're, they're coming day after day after day, year after year after year, waiting for the Christ. And now they've seen him. The Old Testament actually established that a charge could not be brought, a charge could not be considered, uh, considered actually legal testimony unless it was established on the credibility of two witnesses. So what happens in the temple? Here comes Christ Jesus, and there are two witnesses who rise up to give testimony to who this child really is. He's here. The Christ is here. Two people rise up and both join their voices and say, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and now we see him. Their years of longing and waiting have now been realized. They have lived to see the Lord. So Jen Wilkin writes this, in Simeon's old age, God gave him consolation. In Anna's old age, God gave her pleasure, comfort, and joy. The advent witness of Simeon and Anna exhorts us to wait in expectant hope. He who promises is faithful. He is coming again. And on that day, every nation, tribe, and tongue will bear witness. A multitude will see the face of God and will proclaim, here he is. So friend, are you longing for that day? I get it, it may seem like an odd question to ask on this day where we celebrate waiting realized, but this day of all days is a reminder that their waiting was realized and so too is ours. One day, Christ will come, not as an infant born in a manger, but as a king riding forth on a white horse. And we will say, there he is. We see him. 
just as Simeon holds the child in his arm and looks at him and says, I have seen the Christ. So too is there coming a day where you and I will behold him and say, I have seen the Christ and he will never leave and we will dwell with him forever, singing his praises, glorifying him day after day after day after day after day, no longer suffering but all glory forevermore. That's what awaits us as a believer. And so it's appropriate for us to consider, are we waiting longingly for that day? Kevin DeYoung perceptively notes that even more than what we have, our hearts are revealed by what they long for. Do you long for the return of Christ? Hebrews says he is coming again, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Is that you? See, waiting is hard. Waiting is hard because we like things that are immediate. We like things that we can see. Waiting is hard because it means we've got to trust that God is working even when we are not working and even when we cannot see it. And while we wait, right now, we learn from the shepherds and we learn from Mary, we learn from Joseph, that we see this Christ, we share this Christ, we treasure this Christ, we give thanks to God for this Christ, and we long eagerly for the return of this Christ. There was a day, a very real day in history, long ago, when the Savior came into the world, God declared it to shepherds. He revealed it to Mary. He showed it to Simeon and Anna. There was a, a very real day where the shepherds could say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. There was a very real moment in history where Simeon and Anna could look upon the face of their Savior and say, here he is, he has come. And there will be a very real day in history where you and I will gather around the throne of the Lamb who was slain, the Son of God who took on flesh to redeem us, and we'll say, here he is. We have seen him. And we'll rejoice in him as the true treasure of our souls forever and ever. There's a beautiful song, one of my favorites. It never ceases to move me. And in it, we declare this. When on that day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. And we shall ere his people be all glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your work in sending your son to redeem us. Lord, we long for his return, but in the meantime, would you keep us people who are faithful, following after you, treasuring you, and proclaiming you to others while we wait eagerly for the day we will see you face to face once more and rejoice. And in the meantime, Lord, may we treasure you today and every day. And we ask all of this for the glory of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.